Hey everybody, it's Coach Andrew here. We've got another awesome episode of the Because Football Podcast. For this episode, our guest is Coach Will Kemp. Coach Will has a lot of great information about how players can improve their technique, their skill. For coaches, there's a lot of good information as to how to approach working on your player's technique and improving their skill as well. And then we've got some awesome stories about a recent trip that he and some of his teams did to the UK where they got to play matches against a lot of top English academy sides, go to some matches themselves, and do some stadium tours. So before we get into the episode, my question for you guys that I want to see in the comments, if you could visit the UK for a soccer tour, what stadium or which team would you want to see live? So go ahead and put that in the comments. I'm really excited to see where some of our fans uh, and listeners of the show stack up. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks. See you in there. Yes, today we've got Coach Will Kemp of Kemp Soccer Development and Cohansey Soccer Club. And uh, so first of all, Coach Will, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I appreciate you having me, Andrew. The first thing here, just tell us a little bit about some of your earliest experience of, of the game. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, fortunate for me, I grew up in a soccer town, uh, New Jersey. Uh, my brothers played soccer, and, of course, you know, you want to go ahead and follow in their footsteps. Uh, my brother stuck with it for, you know, not that long. We both quit pretty early on, uh, picked up other sports, but it was the one sport that continued to grow on me. Uh, and, uh, of course, all my friends are playing it. So, you know, once again, you adapt to your surroundings. Uh, I was able to have a lot of success at club level, um, a lot of success at high school. Um, did not have as much success inside college. You know, I kind of relied too much on my talents compared to hard work. Uh, and then I transitioned into uh, coaching. Um, and uh, I'm here. That's, this, that's where I'm at today. So it's been a lot of uh, been a lot of fun, uh, crazy up and downs. Uh, but, yeah. you know. It's, it's, it's all been a, 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 a uh, enjoyable journey, let's put it that way. Yeah, ups and downs for sure. If you're in anything long enough, there's, there's going to be those. Um, can you remember maybe like the first time or like, oh, like I want to be a coach, like wanting to, to think eventually one day that you wanted to, to train players and, and develop them yourself? Huh. Uh, well, I mean, there was, uh, let me see. So one of my, one of my earlier coaches uh, actually is, his brother's name, uh, coach's name is Don Norton. Um, but Don used to say that I was a student of the game. This is at an early age. Uh, I guess just from the conversations that we would have, but it was that one phrase that stuck with me for a good amount of time. And I never saw myself as a coach. You know, I was, a uh, introvert. I still am an introvert. Um, you know, I, I struggle inside certain social situations, but same exact time, I had a love for the game. Um, and, you know, I actually, as soon as I, I remember in college where, there'd be certain games and I'm trying to give instructions from the bench. I'm not even playing. Right. And I'm just giving instructions from the bench. And I'll never forget one of my teammates told me to shut up. And at that point, I was just like, you know, Hey, I, I, I love this game too much to shut up, you know, and I want to be able to actually instruct as many players as possible and help as many people as I can. I can't be on the field. So I'm going to be able to help you out as much as I can. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it kind of blossomed from there a little bit. I actually went to the golf business uh, for a, five six years um and then um you know i got a call from uh one of the old board members from my club my hometown club asking me if i wanted to coach Breck. and you know i'm like ah you know i'm not really a coach but 
I can give it a go if I can get back to my club. And, you know, it yeah. kind of started from there and rec turned into travel, travel turned into, you know, high level soccer. And, and here I am today. Yeah. So from starting at rec, right? Like I, I had a lot of experiences like that myself, you know, when you were like a four-year-old who just wants to pick up the ball and run around or the kids that are way more interested, like you set up all the cones and they just want to go kick them into smithereens or whatever. Like, yeah. What do you think you learned from your first initial coaching experiences at like a, a very young, like rec level that is still relevant to your approach now, with like high level club, high school players? Uh, treat everybody as if they know nothing um, and, and be able to show as much as possible. There was times where <laughs> when I first started, I was just expecting everybody to know everything. And I used to get angry inside my head. Like, how do you guys not know this? And I'm like, they're four years old. That's why they don't know it. And yeah. I remember having a bunch of training sessions, thinking that I did a great job. And here comes the first game with rec. And I forgot to teach them how to do a throw You know, so it's it's those moments that, you know, reminded me of, hey, I got to show everything, regardless of which level they're at, regardless of if they've been playing the game for years. And, and then once they know it, you got to challenge them. You got to challenge their brain. You got to help them develop. You got to help them actually have as much success as possible. And and once you start to do that, that's when you start to actually do your job with a coach. Um, so that's 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 probably the one thing that stuck with me since day one. From your experiences as a youth player in college, was there a certain coach or coaches that you feel like you wanted to like copy their style because they really connected with you, or like you did you take elements of, of their approach and, and now put it in your coaching style today? Yeah, so as a youth coach, um, my coach was uh, Bob Lawrence and Don's brother. Um, and, you know, there was there was different pieces where, you know, Don, Don and Bob were definitely way ahead of their time. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we did was possession-based. Uh, we, we allowed ourselves to kind of dominate, especially in the midfield. Um, and then as I went forward, uh, high school coach, you know, very, very – Different style of play, let's put it that way. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to play with my best friends throughout, you know, my four years, um, and especially our graduating class was uh, 11 players. And out of those 11 players, we had probably about eight players that have played at some together at some uh, capacity uh, throughout their career. Okay. Uh, and then as, after that, I went to, uh, to my first school, uh, and it was more of a South American, Central American style, which I absolutely loved. Uh, and then I'm transferred to uh, last school, which is Rome, and it turned into more of the American style that we know, the, the dump and chase, and being able to, to you know use more of a attributes of strength and speed compared to actually being able to solve problems in your mind. And right, which, uh, I was able to go through several different types of coaches. Um, but when I came out of school, I used my last experience as the way that I actually wanted to play at first. Um, and it was just because you, once again, adapt to your environments. Uh, and I tried to go ahead and use, you know, power and power and speed compared to, you know, problem solving. But at the same exact time, obviously me being an Arsenal fan, you know, you try to adapt to one of the best managers ever and be able to actually implement his system. So sure. I would say that, you know, it was definitely at first a little, a lot of my last college and then a little bit of my favorite team, my favorite team. Um, and then as I matured, you know, it turned into more of a, a possession-based game. So that's that's kind of where I started to really transition into myself that I am now. And I was able to actually be a little bit more comfortable in my shoes because I grew up watching this. I understood it. I loved it. And now I can actually go ahead and actually, you know, 
be myself compared to thinking that I have to go ahead and win every single game. You know, and 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 that's helped me out a lot. Mm -hmm. And and once again, that's how I transformed into who I am today, just by realizing and 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 kind of remembering where I came from and who I actually am. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me there is that like the changes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think I can see that in my own coaching journey. I think anybody, whatever the the thing is that they love that they apply themselves to, there's probably going to be some changes in your approach and philosophy over time. So. Um, I think that that shows kind of like that you're always kind of assessing and being reflected, like and reflecting, right? Being reflective and 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 very sometimes it's being very critical, right? And and trying to see those changes. So and you read my mind because I was about to to ask, uh, well, were you influenced by by Arsene Wenger, right? And yet, of course, you're you're loving the gunner. So if yeah. you could put in like a, a sentence or two, right? Like how would you describe that? that style of play and how it influenced your, your view of the game? Uh, well, when you have somebody that has changed the whole style of the way English Premier League is played in, in, in pretty much the entire world, um, I would just say extremely influential, beautiful style of play. You know, like that's, that's, that's what I see as Arsene. You know, he's, he's done so much for the game. He still does do so much for the game. Uh, but when we change your style of play, especially inside one of the most physical leagues in the world, you know, mm-hmm. playing this beautiful, soft touch, you know, being able to just really enjoy the game. Like that's, 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 that's a, that's a stamp that you've made on the entire game that nobody will be able, be able to take off of you. So, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's my vision of Arson. And of course, he's a legend in my book. Uh, he's number one for me. Uh, and it always will be number one. Yeah. I mean, the, the invincible season, you know, if you look at data, right, you have the invincible season, which is, uh, even with all that Pep has done, haven't quite made a run like that. And yeah. then if you look at just, you're saying like just from a, a philosophical point of view of, of influence in the game, it's been, been massive, um, you know, and, uh, and so kind of with that same era of time, you know, when you're watching those Arsenal teams, like who are some of those, those guys uh, that, that you're kind of looking up to as a kid and trying to style yourself after? Well, I mean, obviously Henri is number one, uh, without yeah. a doubt. Uh, I mean, I'm not a, I, I went from being a field player to a goalkeeper to being a field player. And I just remember uh, this one time, one of the best players I ever played uh, high school soccer with, he was actually, um, he was actually a senior. Uh, no, he graduated. I apologize. He was, uh, he's in school, uh, college. And we played a pickup game and I just never forget. He's like, dude, why are you trying to play like Henri? I'm like, I'm not, I'm just playing. And he's like, dude, you look exactly like Henri, every single touch, every single movement. And I'm like, I'm just playing the game. But like, you know, that's just kind of how, you know, like how I've looked up to him. And fortunately, I was able to see him play numerous times. And, you know, that that's that's, that's the person that, thinks, that I think about first. And, and you also think about Dennis Bergkamp, right? Um, you think about Seth Fabregas. You think about, yeah. you know, uh, Thomas Rosicki, right? You think of um, Patrick Vieira. And, you know, the list goes on. But those players, you know, I, I'm not going to say, like, I, I was watching heavily inside the early 2000s because I wasn't. It was very hard to be able to watch the game, but it was you know, I think, yeah, yeah. really, really go for it. And maybe uh, you had to invest in like the direct TV packages. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so for me to say that, you know, I, I was able to watch the, you know, invincible eras before like Ian Ray, you know, and, and, and those guys, I, I, I'd be lying to you because I, I haven't. You know, I, I, I've never seen Ian Wright play a match, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I know the history behind it, and I understand it, and I appreciate it because those guys paved the way for what Arsenal is today. And 
you know, but, you know, for me, like Thierry, Thierry Henry, without a doubt, you know, is the first person that comes to mind at all times when it comes, when it comes to any type of Arsenal, uh, any type of Arsenal talk. Yeah. Yeah. Super just graceful, powerful, creative, like just the goal, like watching, he's one of those guys you just throw in like his best goals from Arsenal and just, you're just, <laughs> jaw keeps dropping. Right. And so many yeah. different types of goals too. Uh, but, but again, I kind of fit into that whole team style and, when I think of that Arsenal team, I mean, myself, I was a United supporter at the time and they were always going head to head. But of course, like with that Arsenal team, it's just like the, with the way that they've kept the ball and it's like technique, right? All those guys you're talking about, Bergkamp and, and Fabregas and Robert Pires, like just like effortless players, the ball just stuck to their foot. I'm curious with your thought as a coach and doing a lot of technical training with players. Um, do you think like, and maybe it's not a, it's not a yes or no, but it's maybe a degrees of it. Like, what can players do, and how much do you think a player can improve their technique um, when it comes to let's let's say they're starting out in the game and, and uh, can barely trap a ball to like then being able to, like do you, what do you think that each player has a particular ceiling or potential mm -hmm. technically, um, or like do you think that that can be expanded? How, how do you kind of see that? Yeah, so it definitely can be expanded. Every single player, especially at a young age, can can be molded into a great player, right? And you know, it's obviously genetics play a huge part. Um, environment plays a huge part. But at the same exact time, everyone's getting the same opportunity. Um, you know, the one thing that I, I definitely uh, am getting used to hearing that I really don't like to hear is that so many players are specializing early ages and they don't even know how to use their body yet. Right. So what I used to do, especially in like training, I used to introduce the ball right away ASAP and and be able to just like work on like everyone did like a thousand touch drill. Right. So that was pretty much my warm up. And and it became so boring for me as well as the players that, you know, people will show up for the session just like, you know, they would lie about getting the drill done. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I did it. I did it. I did it. And it just took away from the session. But for me. You know, I, I had to change it. So I started to actually implement a little bit more speed and agility, change the direction stuff, uh, you know, jumping up and down, you know, going going to explosive movements, things like that. So I try to go ahead and focus more on actual body mechanics first compared to just technical work. Right. So if you can get the player to understand their body, they're going to understand the ball. If they don't understand their body, there's no way in the world they're going to be able to understand the ball. So. There's different techniques that I've actually implemented, especially over, I would say, the last three years that I started to introduce mm -hmm. into my programs. Uh, and you just see, like, you see players' ceilings actually raise. Uh, and you see players' ability and enjoyment actually, you know, get become higher because now they're doing something where they're actually accomplishing certain goals compared to just getting frustrated and not being able to control the ball. So I, I think that everybody has an opportunity, but it's just how you actually use that opportunity. Get out there, learn how to use your body first, and then we'll go from there. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, like of just the, the body mechanics, the control, because that's something I talk about a lot with my players anyway. And there's obviously only so much you can communicate that will then have the outcome that we're looking for in terms of growth and improvement. That's just like a uh, talking and understanding, right? You can tell them to adjust in a certain way and it can, it can work in that like rote unopposed exercise. Um, but then once you increase tempo, increase the speed, uh, I, I agree that like a lot of the, the body mechanics come into play. Um, I think the challenge as a coach is when we look at players, whether we're doing a private one-on-one -on -one session for an hour once a week, 
over with our team and we have like two hour and a half, three hour and a half sessions a week or whatever it is. I always struggle with how to like give the right amount of time to the, the, uh, the, the speed, agility, the, the body mechanics versus the ball. Cause I always just feel like there's such a scarcity of time for the ball mm-hmm. and the technical side. So how do you try to kind of balance the two um, to, to kind of uh, get the maximum outcome that you can given the very limited time you have with your players? Yeah. So, I mean, it's what I started to do is, you know, about 25% of the session, I try to work on body mechanics. Right. And then slowly kind of not slowly, but then apply those same body movements into the first part of the session with the ball. Right. That way they're still working on the same build. We're building for the Mm -hmm. same exact uh, area. And then I go ahead and focus on just purely soccer, technical stuff, et cetera, et cetera, shooting, you know, change of direction, match understanding. Why am I doing this move? When am I doing this move? How do I create things like that? So like that first, I would say the first half hour, is really focused on body mechanic. The first 15 minutes is more body mechanic, no ball. Sometimes I introduce the ball depending on the skill level, depending okay. on the the, the, play, the age of the player, where they're at, so on and so forth. And then I go ahead and go for the next 15 minutes, similar movements, right? Changing direction, simple passing, receiving, up and back stuff, lateral movements, uh, checking in the space, like things like that. Now they're applying all those body mechanics into the first little bit of movement. And then the last 30 minutes is more match understanding. Now, if you have a player that is struggling big time, just controlling the ball, you just dumb it down, right? You just bring it down to a situation where they're still having success, right? And then you go ahead and increase the intensity. It, it from the outside looks like the most simplest drill, but then when you're actually performing it, it's actually pretty difficult. So mm-hmm. you try to go ahead and scale it based upon who you actually have, and then you make it challenging for whoever you for whoever you're working with. I like then how you you tie in the the theme and the topic of the the physical side and the mechanics and the, even that progresses throughout the technical and the tactical activities. Um, really like that that thread and that consistency there that, that you mentioned. So, um, and then I kind of like to to look similar to that, right? Like we're looking at the technical training or whether it's like private training for players. Um, I know obviously you are the director of a travel club, and then you also offer a lot of additional supplemental skills training programs. So. For players who are already training twice a week and games on the weekend for, let's say, eight, nine months out of the year with their travel team, like, why is it important that they're doing additional programs um, and, and, and can it really make an impact for them? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at three hours a week of training for some players, right? Three hours a week, uh, you got so many days inside the year and, and it just doesn't add up to actual development, right? So the players have to do things on their own and they can, they can do it on their own. They can get the wall in the basement and then go outside. They can just literally just take shots. There has to be a supplemental somewhere, whether it's with a trainer that's going to give you direction, whether it's yourself that's actually going to give direction. I mean, YouTube has helped out so many players, right? Helped out so many coaches. Same exact thing with all the other social media aspects. But, you know, at the same exact time, if a player or a parent thinks that they're going to have their have their kid develop, you know, with three hours a week of training, it, it, they might learn something, you know, they're going to be towards the bottom, but at the same exact time, there's so much opportunity for them to actually grow that they want, don't want to take. And they think that sometimes two nights a week is perfectly fine. It's more than enough, you know, you know, and, and they're going to go ahead and be the next player. And sometimes talent can go ahead and, and bring that player there, but it's going to, it's going to phase out soon. You know, especially yeah. when you have players that are now doing, you know, maybe, you know, 10 to 15 hours of training a week. And, you know, right. like, obviously that's a lot, but at the same exact time, they're putting in the work because they want to get there. But 
but I'm sure that a lot of your early soccer journey and mine as well, it was like on our own, right? Just us and the ball, a goal, whatever it is. What do you think is uh, one of the most simple, like accessible things that, that players can do on their own that will make the, have like the biggest impact in, in their improvement as a player? Uh, dribble a tennis ball around the house. That's it. That's, 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 that's your, your, your weaving in and out traffic, making sure you don't knock mom, mom's base over, uh, making yep. sure your dog doesn't take it away from you. Uh, you know, you're, you're picturing things inside your head. I mean, Nike made this amazing commercial, uh, way back in the day, way back in the day, but you know, like obviously when we were younger, uh, and it's Thierry Henry, you know, obviously I got to bring him up. Uh, he's dribbling through the house with a soccer ball, the Nike commercial. Mm-hmm. And, and he's picturing himself going against the best defenders in the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, 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 the commercial was over and it's literally just him, his dog chasing him around the house. The neighbors yeah. are looking across the street like, what is going on over there? Like, why are you and, and the dogs going crazy? And then he actually like kind of gets rid of the, the daydream. And it's just his dog going like, looking across at him like, OK, I'm going to take this ball with me. And then he drives, drives into the next hallway like like that's all that you need. And of yeah. course, you can go ahead and, and go outside. You can get this the new program called Dribble Up, right? You can do a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, if you're actually just having fun with the dribbling tennis ball around the house, you're going to get better. Like, that's the that's the simplest thing that I could go ahead and recommend to any people. You don't need any, you don't need money. You don't need a bunch of space. You can even do this inside like a studio. Apartment. It, it, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're touching the ball, you're getting better. If you're not touching the ball, you're staying the same. Hmm. Yeah. I, one thing I like about that approach too, which is something I did and whether it's a tennis ball, it, it's always, it was always a hunt to find like a, a smaller ball that would make the least impact and would be the spongiest to not take out yeah. the, the video. Like you said, like the, I definitely took out more than 10 <laughs> frames. You can do so much just at home while you're waiting for the microwave to finish, right? Or you're mm. sitting down on your phone and like, whether it's just little things like working on your, you know, technique. We talk a lot about with ball striking of locking our ankle and like just creating that muscle memory with your body, right? You can practice it when you're at school, um, sitting in the desk and, and everything. So I think if the, the imagination and like the passion is there, there's no limit to, to what can be your, your training and your practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it comes down to the player, right? And you just got, it might seem boring at first or, you might see a situation where you're like, oh, this is stupid, but at the same exact time, you're getting touches on the ball, but it comes down to you. What are you envisioning? What do you actually want to accomplish? And everyone's capable. Just got to go out there and do it. Yeah. Just, just yeah. have fun with yourself. Yep. Yeah, just having fun and taking that action, I think, is big. Um, what do you think? And, and I've, I face this a lot with players, and I see it, and uh, I'm sure you've seen it between the club and different levels. Like, uh, you talked a little bit about specialization too. You kind of hinted at a, a couple questions ago. Um, what do you think about in like youth soccer and youth sports in general right now? Like what kind of contributes to burnout in players and, and kind of players losing that love or that passion for the game? Mm. There's a lot of factors. Um, sometimes it's parents. Uh, sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's coaches. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, a situation where you're not on a winning team um, and, you know, you're getting hounded about it every single day. Like, you know, there, there's so many different things where, you know, burnout can can happen. Uh, obviously, you got the players that get the theory of overtraining. And I do believe in overtraining to a point, but not to the point where, 
you're not able to do something that's, you know, working on accessory skills or working on accessory muscles. But, you know, I, I think that burnout could be uh, numerous, numerous things. Um, you know, sometimes you just get in the car and you're so tired of mom and dad just going straight negative right away. And instead of just saying, hey, did you enjoy it? No, I didn't. All right. What do you want to do now? Like in, instead of just going to the next topic, like that's it's, it's, it's really difficult to kind of move forward from a negative place or, you know, being able to actually understand that this feeling isn't here because of yourself. The feeling is here because of outside things. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that could turn into burnout. I see come some kids that burn out from obviously overtraining, but it's not them that's training, if that makes sense. It's somebody else that's telling them you've got to go outside and do this. Right. You know? Yeah. So you don't you don't want to lose the love for the game because somebody else is telling you to do something. If you lose the love of the game and you can do it and then it happens on your own, then it happens on your own. But you know, if someone else is kind of pushing you away, I, I really don't like that. Um, so, yeah. I, like I said, definitely numerous things that could lead to the burnout. But yeah, you know, I, I think it's always outside influences. Yeah, agreed. There, there's so much that goes into it. And is there anything you kind of like try to do or keep in mind with your programs or how the club does things to, to kind of keep that? keep an eye on burnout and try to reduce that or what would you recommend to coaches um yeah. again like you said it's a lot so it's not all within yeah. the coach's control but again mm-hmm. you know as far as like really really caring for the well-being of the child like what do you what do you kind of look for and, and do to kind of reinforce that? well i think building rapport with players is huge right um try to get a little bit of a peek on the inside of their life outside of soccer um, and, and see how they see how they actually operate. Right. And and see what their relationships are like, you know, with close friends, with family members, so on and so forth. And then try to tap into little things. And and then you try to say, hey, listen, like, you know, how was your day today? Uh, what did you do? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as those conversations continue to grow, you're starting to actually add little posters inside your head about what this person is talking about. And mm-hmm. then you try to go ahead and touch on happiness and, and see their reactions to Oh, you know, I played video games today. You know, I I was really good. Like, or hey, like you know, I got my high score and whatever. Or hey, you know, I, I really enjoyed watching my sister's recital the other night. Like, like just small things, and then you're making post-it notes and and then trying to bring up those topics again and seeing the way that they react. Right. So I, I I try to make sure that if I see a player that's struggling good time, I interact with them even more. If I see a player that one hasn't scored inside, you know five or six games and they're down on themselves, like they're reaching that level of burnout failure, not just burnout, but just burnout from failure, right? Because they're expecting themselves to score every single game and, and they yeah. haven't. So then you try to go ahead and, and, and interact with them a little bit more. So for me, when I started to implement this last season, this last year, uh, my higher level teams, the 2011 team, uh, we actually trained three nights a week. Um, and I started to change the way that I started to, uh, that I trained. The first night, open play, you guys create the games, you guys do this, you guys pick the teams. You know, there'll be a little bit of structure here and there. And and mm-hmm. if it's a stupid game, I'll I'll manipulate it, right? Yeah. But like if it's a game where it's just like, hey, open play, you guys playing 2v2 tonight, you guys playing 5v5, uh, you know, we're going to work on this with some bumper players today. Uh, you guys make the restrictions and we'll go from there. That gives them that freedom back of, you know, when you're a kid and you're no longer getting, you know, having been in that structure environment. And they start to kind of fall in love with it again, right? And then next night, you know, we'll, we'll do some more structured stuff. And, and the last night is more like, you know, tactical stuff and, and a little bit of structure, but then you add the freedom back, right? And then now you see that they're actually prepared and excited for the weekend compared to being beat down the entire time. Yeah. So I, I've, I've changed the way that I coach based on that and, I, and I've mm-hmm. seen it. Uh, and, and it actually worked. 
it's, it's, it's worked out a lot for that squad because there were some ups and downs this season. This last season was actually really bad, but, you know, we're playing against some of the best teams inside, you know, the, the region. Um, but, you know, that's just the level that we're at right now. And it's fortunate, but like I said, that's helped out a lot, especially when it comes to burnout because now players are being able to express themselves more compared to just being structured, structured training the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, what I like about too is like you're giving them the the freedom to like make those decisions, right? Because like the, when it comes down to like the kids, they know how to have fun, right? Like they yeah. know <laughs> they know what is going to be enjoyable for them. And then as coaches, that we can just kind of like you said, if it's a stupid game, you're going to step in, you're going to adjust it. Like we need to be in safe yep. and, and improving from this. Um, but I think that and it, and it sounds like it would be something that really makes them them think about the game as well. Mm. Absolutely. And, and they're problem solving themselves. Right. So now there's no longer a voice on the sideline that's screaming at them or yeah. yelling yeah. instructions and, and mom and dad aren't there. And you see those kids that they're happiest. Yeah, they're losing. Yeah, they'll argue. Right? They're competitive. But the same exact time they figure it out on the moment. They sort it out. Uh, but when you constantly have that voice at all times, boom, 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 boom. Right. It's it's like beating into them, man. You know, there there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance, and, and that's where the balance comes from. Hey, full freedom, you guys go ahead and have fun. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so speaking of having fun, we'll, we'll pivot a little bit here. I know, um, just recently, a couple months ago, through through your your Camp Academy teams, you you took some groups over to the UK. Um, so tell us a little bit about you know that experience and, and some of those international tours that you've done in the past. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, I mean, this past April was uh, definitely up there for, I would say, you know, top three tours I've been on. Uh, great group. Uh, we took two teams uh, between the ages of 2009 through 2011. Uh, we had a lot of players, uh, sorry, a lot of players brought their family members uh, to be able to see them play over there. Uh, we traveled and explored the country. We had a little bit of a bump in the beginning where uh, a storm slowed us down for about four hours. Uh, and we actually missed our um, uh, missed one of our first adventures, which was the Manchester City tour uh, that we had to bump to it later in the day and later in the week, which was great. Um, but uh, it, it was a great experience. Um, you know, it, it was an experience where played against Manchester United, played against uh, Tranmere Rovers, played against uh, Bolton Wonders, and this absolutely unbelievable team, uh, Connors Key, which you know in Wales, um, and, and they were phenomenal. Uh, being able to play against Ian Rush's nephew uh, was absolutely amazing. Uh, Liverpool legend. Uh, and, the, and the boys are just having fun. You know, obviously we got beat up a little bit. Uh, you know, I was expecting Manchester United to kind of smash us, but we stuck with them. We really lost that game. Uh, I think it was, uh, what was the score? I think it was 4-3, something like that. Okay. Um, Connors Key, we lost, I think, 9-1. <laughs> they were they were just unbelievable team. Unbelievable team. Um, and then Bowen Wonders, uh, did very well against them. Um, which is a good team. Uh, it's actually some uh, uh, a player from Manchester City's uh, academy just got released, and Paul Wonders picked him up, and he was um, he was very very good. Uh, and uh, it, it was a great experience overall. I mean, players took some of those things that they learned over there, uh, mm-hmm. brought them back over here. The aggression was very high, uh, but the team unity was just on a different level. You know, that that was the biggest thing that I wanted them to bring back, and. We brought it back here, right? Obviously, seeing the Premier League matches, going to Old Trafford, watching Rashford uh, yeah. play extremely well. Yeah. Uh, for myself, you know, I snuck away. I've been able to watch the Arsenal-Liverpool match away at Anfield. You know, dream come true. 
Uh, Liverpool fans were extremely quiet until they started scoring. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the library in there. Uh, you know, just just really good stuff. Uh, saw some went to Wrexham, of course. Uh, uh, explored there for a little bit. Um, and and made some some really strong relationships. So it was a really good, really good trip. Really good trip. Awesome. And what was the the age of the group that you took over? So it was players. So it was two teams. Uh, one team was 2009 and 2010 combined team. Uh, and the okay. other team was all 2011. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And then you kind of hinted towards a little bit. I'm curious, you know, looking at Premier League academy side, or at least you know, Championship and and, and I think Bolton's League One now, but still like you know, quality academy sides of things. You mentioned the aggression, right? Mm. Um, what do you mean by that? Like, what what did you see kind of in matches and games that that, that would show that like that was a difference that, that maybe the the American group that, that your guys uh, had to adapt to? Yeah, so I mean, over here, right? Players are playing for obviously you know the dream of playing professional is always there, uh, but it's not in reach, right? Uh, going D one, getting a full ride scholarship, it's everyone's dream, right? But it's yeah. not in reach. Uh, so over here, you have players who have this dream that's not actually there for them. So they play based upon what they deserve to play, right? Uh, and then there's certain players, I'm not saying every single player is like that, but there's certain players that will try to, you know, think that they deserve something and they really don't. Over there, those players are playing for contracts, right? They're playing for contracts. They're trying to yeah. go ahead and get into the first team. So every single moment is being watched. Every single moment is an opportunity for them to move into the next team, right? The next level. Uh, so when you, when I say about aggression is that whoever has the ball, I'm taking it away from you. I will fight you tooth and nail to win this ball with me. I'll be clean, right? And I'll be professional because every single one of those kids were extremely professional. They got, they got fouled. They got up, you know, slapped hands, kept going, let's go. But, you know, it, it, they're, they're all playing for contracts. And with that type of mentality, it's very hard to compete against with uh, a country or sorry, a, a culture where mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, I want to play pro. Like, you know, it's nice. It's nice to hear. That's nice to say that. Like, that's what you want to yeah. hear. It's expected. Everyone's expected to sit, but it's not in reach, right? But over there, everything is in reach, right? And I'm not saying every single player is going to go pro because it's not true at all, but it's in reach. It's right there in front of them. They can, they can take it if they're good enough. They can take it if they have the opportunity to. Um, so uh, that's 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 the biggest thing that I say about aggression is that they're competing at a very high physical level at all times. They want to run through. They don't want to be embarrassed, especially when it comes to Americans. You know, they yeah, want to be able to dominate you physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the biggest difference. Yeah. And, and like you're saying, there's that clear pathway and there's decades of of the culture of this. And like, hey, you know, like it is possible if I do this. And like you said, we just have a a younger um infrastructure in the u.s you know and it's newer and it's also changing a lot and then there's also a lot of a lot of different levels and, and things of course then there's there's college too but that's different than like the possibility of you know a livelihood for yourself or, or for your family um mm-hmm. so that's uh interesting you're kind of kind of bringing out that point um do you think that that's something i'm sure you talked about with your guys like how do you think that that and like being exposed to that type of, of mentality uh, change maybe the way they approach their own game. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, it's, it's, it was definitely a, a huge understanding, especially at first it was like, wow. Like, you know, but like the Manchester United game, the boys play with a lot of confidence, right? A lot of like, Oh, we can stay, we, we can stick with this team. We, we can, we can bounce it around. 
Um, but you know, it, it's still the beginning of the trip wasn't as good as the end of the trip. And the reason why is because they finally adapted to the play style. They finally adapted to the actual you know lifestyle of these players, yeah. and they started to become overly aggressive. And when you have certain players, especially with their last match, that are complaining to the referee about how physical this team is now being, you can see that something is clicking, right? And then I, I remember uh, when we came back, we unfortunately we didn't have a game that following weekend. We had to wait. Um, and uh, we played the uh, we played two weeks after that, and the aggression was very high, and they kind of were, you know, overcompensating for other things, which you know was unfortunate because they wanted to prove something. At the same exact time, the style of play was poor again, right? And I think it was a rainy day, whatever. Uh, I think we, I, we we lost that game, uh, but the boys were just on a different level of aggression, and then they finally found a good balance towards the end of the season. Mm. Um, and, and now, you know, like where we played inside this last tournament, uh, they're playing, uh, 11v11 for the first time. We're playing against some of the better academies inside the state, uh, and, and they won the tournament, you know? So like, it's, it's, it was not going to happen right away, but it was going to happen eventually. And, yeah. and now they're applying it every single training session, every single match. And I'm, I'm so proud of them. What did you guys get into as far as, uh, you know, your cultural activities and, and fights? So, uh, I think the first, the first day we, we, uh, we traveled to the hotel, um, but we ended up going to a beautiful countryside called Chester. Uh, it's pretty much uh, uh, Roman. Um, I think it was yeah. like a. Yeah, I've Roman. been to Chester, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's a beautiful place. You see castles all, all around. Uh, uh, and then we ended up going to, like I said, sightseeing inside, uh, well, to a, not a not a stadium tour, but we, we went to Rexholm, got some stuff there. Uh, some of the other stuff that we did was uh, Manchester City tour. Uh, Chelsea tour. Some people, uh, you know, went to, went off on their own to do a Liverpool stadium tour. Uh, but we explored throughout Liverpool. We were there for a few hours. Uh, went to Manchester, explored there for a few hours. Um, actually, no, we stayed in Manchester, but we explored out in Manchester for a okay. few hours. Uh, of course, London, uh, you know, people went to, uh, you know, Big Ben, you know, London Tower, uh, all the major sites. Um, and uh, some people when, when we went to uh, uh, St. George's Park, which is a beautiful facility, England's National Training Center. Uh, right. We did a we actually did a recovery session with them. Uh, we worked out awesome. in the same space that they uh, that the English national players worked out at, uh, which is pretty cool because you see uh, Marcus Rashford's name on the board about the time that he got Harry King's name on the board, Declan Rice, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, unfortunately, their training pitch was under construction, but it, it's the most perfect pitch ever. <laughs> uh, but their indoor facility was really nice as well. It's the only one of the only places in the world you can actually do an indoor Champions League match at, uh, wow. so it, it, which is which is really cool. But yeah, we we went throughout the entire country, and, and I think that that stuff is so much much more important than just playing the games, just because you know ninety uh, percent of those kids will never go back to that country again. They might in the future, but for the most yeah. part, you know, they're not going to be able to actually explore uh, those areas that they would like to. So, uh, you know, it's not just a, a soccer trip, you know, because it's not just based upon that. Uh, but it's about actual, you know, cultural understanding and, and, and being able to, to, to go to those historical sites. So, yeah, it, it was fun, man. A lot of fun. Awesome. And did you organize this yourself or, or who, uh, who hooked you guys up with it? Yeah, so my uh, one one of the good friends of mine, um, you know, very very love, uh, works for a company called EPL Sports. Uh, he's the one who actually 
put all this stuff together, uh, well, executed it. Uh, we talked about the plan together, how we wanted to go ahead and build it. Uh, it could have been just soccer only, you know, it could have been uh, where it's just like a few matches here and there. Um, and, but, you know, I made sure that it was something where the players and families could really enjoy, you know, because a lot of players brought their family members, not just mom or dad, but mom, dad, you know, grandpa, grandmom, you know, uh, cousin, wow. you know, yeah. and, and you want to be able to kind of have them enjoy it as well because you don't want them just going just to watch, you know, uh, you know, their, uh, their granddaughter play or grandson play. You want them to be able to actually explore the country as well. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to meet Barry a few years ago, or actually probably about a decade now. Um, and, uh, we built a great relationship and those does amazing work. And, uh, you know, we were able to build a great tour together. And that bridges into like kind of the, the, the cause football aspect, right? Like what the game kind of means for us uh, individually and things. So if I had to put you on the spot, could you pick a, a favorite or it doesn't have to be the number one, but like a top memory related to the game? Mm, it's tough. It's tough. Um, there's well, so many memories there. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I really don't know off the top of my head the number one memory, but I mean, if you're going to say, you know, because football, um, it, 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 wow, this is definitely tough, but yeah. there's just so there's so much that's going through. But uh, I would say this, you know, because football, uh, I'm I'm able to provide happiness to to many of players. You know, it, it's 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 me going out of my comfort zone, as I told you before, me being an introvert, and then sure. being able to actually bring smiles to to players' faces and, and families and. You know, when you when you have a kid who scores a game winning goal and runs up to you, not his friends, and gives you a big hug, like you know, like that's that's more meaningful than any type of trophy, right? Or yeah. or any type of any type of you know accolade when it comes to like a like a coaching license or you know job, like what whatever, like that's that's more important than anything else. And if somebody can come out there and 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 get away from all the stresses that actual life you know, brings you and you can forget about that, For you know, sure. then that that's all that I really care about. If I can make someone smile one time, you know, just from this game, and then 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 that's the reason why I do it. Awesome. It's a great answer. You know, the, the game brings so much joy, you know, and and, and excitement and, and those beautiful, beautiful moments of like triumph and, and uh competition and uh, it's just it's a lot. I agree. It's a it's a lot and tough answer. But I thought you, you summed it up really well. Um, so we'll, we'll wrap everything up there and, and thank you again, Will, so much for joining us, for sharing about your, your background in the game, your philosophy uh, and experiences. And, uh, we really appreciate it and uh, hope to have you on again sometime again in the future. Absolutely, Andrew. I appreciate it, my friend. And thank you all for watching and uh, we'll, we'll see you on the next one.